Our gospel reading this morning comes to us from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Let us listen to what God's Spirit is saying to us and to the church. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on this, your holy word, be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us and through us as your people. Amen. It's nice to look out and see a full sanctuary. I have a couple of thoughts. Number one, thank you for coming this morning. And number two, just think, if you came every week, it would always look like this. (laughs) Every time Easter rolls around, I wonder, why is Easter the best attended Sunday service of the year? And I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. I just find it interesting. Why is this Sunday the one day that many people who maybe don't otherwise come to church very often decide to come to church. I think some of it must be tradition. It's fun to do something traditional. It's fun to get dressed up. Of course, it's nice to hear the music and the sanctuary looks so beautiful with all of these Easter flowers. But is that really all it is? I suspect there's a deeper reason that you're here today. And now I'm talking about both those of you who come to church on a regular basis and those of you who may only come once a year. I suspect that what brought all of us to church this morning is a simple question. Could it really be true? Is it really possible that a man was dead and came back to life? I mean, this is a tough question even for the most devoted Christian, the resurrection. This thing that is at once the heart of the Christian faith is simultaneously the hardest thing to accept. And so I want to spend the rest of the sermon looking at this one question. Could the resurrection really be true? I think that there are two ideas behind this question, and I want to talk about both of them this morning. Number one, why believing in the resurrection is hard. And number two, why it matters. Number one, it's hard to believe in the resurrection. I mean, let's just be honest about this fact. I don't think there's any point pretending that the resurrection was some kind of ordinary event. It was never supposed to be. In fact, in some ways, it should be hard to accept it because it's a singular 
event. It's not like we walk around every day and see lots of people who have come back to life after death. But of course there are other problems. And probably the most common thing that people nowadays say is that the resurrection is not scientific. They say it just doesn't make sense that a dead person could come back to life. Now behind that statement is an assumption about people in the ancient world. Here's the assumption. We tend to think that ancient people were stupid. I mean, of course, people in the first century believed in the resurrection. Did they also think that the world was flat? I mean, I guess it's not their fault. Science was primitive back then. People were gullible. They were very naive. But you see, now, in the 21st century, we have come into a time in which we can explain things through science, and we don't need to accept all these old myths. I get it. But here's the problem with this view. According to the Bible itself, nobody believed that Jesus was raised, including his best friends. This is despite the fact that he told them it would happen. Jesus in the Gospels is very specific about what was going to take place. He said the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. He will be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, And the scribes, he will be killed, and on the third day he will be raised. He told them this not once, but many times. And yet when he is killed, we find not even one person who expects him to be raised from the dead. That's remarkable. Now, how do we know this? Well, because when the women came to the tomb... They bring spices to anoint his corpse. Do you understand what that means? They're looking for a dead body because they didn't believe. And the male disciples, well, they're they're not even curious enough to come to the tomb. It's not even a question for them that Jesus was dead. Dead people don't come back to life. It was nice while it lasted. Let's move on. So let me ask you the question again. Are you really that much smarter than people were in the first century. There are even more clues as to just how ludicrous the idea of the resurrection seemed to Jesus' friends. The women are the first to believe because they have an experience. They come to the tomb, they see that the tomb is empty, they encounter two angelic figures who tell them that Jesus was raised, but look at what happens when they go to the disciples to convey this amazing news They're called liars. If you remember in the story, the disciples call their story, quote-unquote, an idle tale. The Greek word that's used is leros. Can you guess what word we get from the Greek word leros? Close. Delirious. (laughs) Okay, it's even worse. They thought these women literally were insane. So let me just say it again. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So here's the question to you again. Do these sound like a bunch of naive, superstitious people, or maybe they're people that we actually might relate to, even in our own day? And so you see, the church was not built by people who were fantasizing about Jesus and who had this wish fulfillment in the resurrection The church was built by people who had given up on him until he appeared and changed their lives. 
In fact, of the 11 disciples who hear the women's story, only one is even curious enough to go check it out for himself. After hearing their story, Peter runs into the empty tomb. He looks inside and he sees that indeed it is empty and the clothes are lying there on the floor. There's no body. Here's his reaction according to Luke. Peter's amazed. Do you know what Luke doesn't say? He doesn't say that Peter believed. He doesn't say that Peter has reached any kind of certainty or is convinced of anything. He says only that Peter is amazed. But you see, that's progress. Because now Peter has become more open to something that although he doesn't understand it, it has the power to change his life. And that brings us to the second point I wanna make today. Why the resurrection matters. And this is, this is the real question because you see in my experience, people don't really reject the resurrection because of science. They reject the resurrection because they know that if it were true, their lives would have to change. And change is difficult. I mean, just for a moment, suspend your disbelief. Just for a moment, entertain the idea that it's all true. First of all, can we appreciate how mind-boggling this would be? If Jesus were raised from the dead, it would mean that life is a lot stranger than we usually think it is. As we're walking around feeling pretty cynical about the world, it would mean that there actually is an entire realm, there's an entire invisible reality beyond what we can see that is real and that is active. It would also mean that God cares about this world. And I think that is good news if you are like a lot of people in this congregation concerned about suffering and injustice. Just think of the last two years. COVID lockdowns, school closures, deaths, social isolation, the war in Ukraine with all of its horrifying abuses, skyrocketing crime in our own American cities. And of course, there was even more suffering in the ancient world, which is precisely why nobody expected Jesus to be raised. The prevailing Greco-Roman philosophy at that time thought the world was irredeemable. The prevailing philosophy said that when a person died, their pure spirit finally was liberated from this evil world. But then Jesus was raised and he had a body, which meant God cared about the real physical world, about things like justice and restoration in this world. Now, I know that there are days when injustice is so pervasive that it is tempting to just give up, but you see, this is even more reason to believe in the resurrection because without Easter, there simply is no redemption. And this is such an important thing to understand. Without Easter, the sins of this life will never be repaired. One generation dies, the next generation takes its place without any reconciliation. Life is a chemical reaction. The strong kill the weak. Any morality we might have is secondary to the main drive in life, which is merely the propagation of our DNA. Now, if you came to church on Easter, something tells me that you don't totally believe that picture of the world. Something tells me that you are looking for a reason to hope. Well, the only hope that's possible is in a God who is working behind the fabric of reality. If Jesus is alive, 
then your desire for justice is not an accident of evolution. It is the risen Christ who himself overcame evil who is making you desire justice. Now look, I'm not saying it's easy to believe. You may feel inspired today by this Easter service, but a few days later you may find yourself doubting again. That's okay. Doubt is a part of faith. However, if you want to find a hope that transcends this world, ultimately you're gonna have to deal with Easter. And that I think is what the angel meant when he asked Mary, why are you looking for the living among the dead? A more profound question has never been asked. I mean, here's Mary who is ready to anoint a dead body. She has no idea of how the world has been turned upside down. She has no idea that in Jesus' resurrection, God has taken the supreme symbol of torture and death, the cross, and has made it into a symbol of life. And that means that whatever hopeless situation you find yourself in, there actually is hope. In fact, Jesus didn't only die, he went into hell, which means there is no place in this life in which God's glory does not shine. There is literally no situation you can find yourself in that cannot be redeemed by the empty tomb. Now, I mean, we are all dressed up. This is such a nice, beautiful sanctuary. I happen to know that people have been to dark places in their life. And some of you even today may be in a dark place. Do you hear the good news in this? There is no place you can go to. There is no hell you can experience in which you cannot find the presence of God. Maybe that sounds nice, you say. I just still don't understand it. I know. Because if you understood it, how life-changing could it be? I mean, the very fact that Easter is a mystery points to its power. In the book of Isaiah, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And if they were, they wouldn't have the power to save us. And so I think the main question of Easter is not whether you understand it, because nobody understands Easter. The main question is, do you want it to be true? Do you want to believe? Do you want to trust? Do you want to know a God who knows you already? St. Augustine said that the beginning of faith is actually not certainty. He said the beginning of faith is desire. He said that if you desire to know God, you already have faith. Maybe you have more faith than you thought. Maybe your problem is the same as Mary's. You've been looking for the living among the dead. You're, you're finding death because that's what you're looking for. You're finding hopelessness because it's all that you expect. Well, here's the amazing good news. The journey that you need to take is probably only about 18 inches long because that's the journey from your head to your heart. Blaise Pascal once wrote that the heart has reasons that reason cannot understand. And I suspect that if you're here this morning, it's because your heart brought you here. I suspect that somewhere in your heart, you do trust that in Christ there is hope. And so here's my last question for you this morning. Can you give your heart permission to hope in the resurrection? Does that sound too good to be true? Frederick Buechner once wrote that we've heard so much tragic news that when the news is good, we can't even hear it. 
I think that is so true for us. The news every day is so dark that when we actually encounter the reality of the resurrection, we don't trust it. Not with our heads. But I suspect our hearts still know that it's real. That you are invited to walk with Christ into the tomb and back out again. Because death does not have the last word. In the end, love wins. Let's pray. God of Easter, we thank you for a hope that is beyond our wildest expectations, a hope that we cannot control or contain and that has the power to change our lives. Fill us with the joy that comes from losing one life so that we can begin a new life in you. In Christ we pray, amen.